listening to Meet and Write, a podcast that dives into liturgical worship and how communion really begins after church. Well, welcome to another episode of Meet and Write. We're very excited to have one of my dearest friends with us today, Steve Mesa. Steve Mesa is an executive director of the Hope Association. The Hope Association is an extension of my dear church in Washington, D.C., St. Timothy and St. Athanasius Coptic Orthodox Church. It was, um, or it, I should say it is, a nonprofit organization that started to help meet the needs of the local community of Washington, D.C. So it is an extension of the church that helps uh, meet the needs of the community, and it allows uh, the church members to get connected and to serve. So we're very excited to have with us Steve Mesa. Thanks for being with us, man. My pleasure. Thanks uh, so much, Michael, for having me. I, before I start, I have to say sure. I listened to the last couple episodes uh, uh, of this podcast, and I'm a frequent listener, and I love the stuff that you put. Uh, but I have to say there were a lot of four and five syllable words on the last podcast. Uh, I just want to set the expectation from now. If if, if your audience is looking for that today, uh, they might not find it. Uh, the only time I say a four-syllable word is if I sneeze twice during a two-syllable word. Okay. Um, but I'm 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 uh, glad to be here, and I'm sure God will uh, use this for for some wonderful stuff. And I love the stuff that you're doing uh, on here. Okay, great. Thank you, Steve, for that heads up. So that that goes out to all our listeners. I'm really excited about this episode because the, the what we're talking about today is the, the essence and theme of this entire podcast. As you heard uh, by that lovely voice in the beginning of this episode, you heard that communion really begins after liturgy. Well, what does that really mean? Like, we, in everything we do in, in life, we put things in compartments. You know, school is from this time, or this course is from this time, work is from this time. And we think of church as being the same thing, that church is from this time to this time, and then once church is over, we kind of check out. But one of the interesting things about, about church life is... Church is not something you just go to on Sunday or you go to on like on Christmas and Easter and that's it. And you just check that box that you did it. But it's something that extends way past that. It's something that extends way past communion. And actually, even one of the very last words that we hear when we celebrate the Eucharist, the very last thing or one of the very last things uh, that the priest says is he says, go in peace. So what does that really mean? Does that mean, you know, just drive home safely? What does that mean, go in peace? So we know that we're coming to the liturgy to unite with God and for God incarnate to come inside of us. And then we live him out. But what does that actually mean? Or how does that really look? Or So what does that mean that I take communion and then I live that out, you know, Monday morning? What does it look like for me to take Christ from the, from the altar? He goes inside of me and then I live him out you know, Monday morning at, you know, at school or work. So that's my first question to you, Steve. No, I mean, that's a great question. It's a really cool topic and it's a little bit different topic than uh, the things that you've delved into so far. And I I love it because the irony of of kind of that introduction and explanation that you just gave is that we're so big on the commands of the liturgy, right? If you bring uh, a young child or you bring somebody who, you know, even has has been in liturgy for, for a long time, you say, what are the various commands of the liturgy? And they'll say, you know, you who are seated stand, right? We, we all hate that one because we're all sitting down. We, we don't want to stand up. But you who are seated stand. And we know, uh, look towards the east. Of course, that, that's the one that comes right after that. Or lift up your hearts. Or even the one we hear all the time, what we hear in Coptic, we say, let us pray, which we say, shvil. So all of those commands get all of the pub and, and all the attention. But the one that you just mentioned is the last one that we hear. 
and we kind of either ignore it or we create our own command from it. So at the end, the priest says, the love of God the Father, the grace of his only begotten Son, the gift and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. Yeah. And we kind of overlook that. And the idea is, where do we go? Do we go sit at home? Do we go to Burger King? Do we go steal the holy bread from the bucket or whatever? Like, where do we go? Yeah. And the reason I love this command so much is because it centrally changes our view of the liturgy. It turns the liturgy from the end state or the end goal to a means to an end, right? So the liturgy is not where the work of the people, right? Isn't that what liturgy means? That's not where the work of the people ends or stops. It's where it begins. And that's actually what I I love the quote from St. John Chrysostom, where he said that you should walk out of communion as a lion breathing out fire, right? So the, 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 the communion is not where you relax and you take a seat and your, your day is finished, but you are a lion breathing out fire, being sent on a mission. And that go, that, that last command go, signifies that mission. So uh, I think it's important before, I know we're going to get into how that looks uh, in our day-to-day and kind of different stuff, and I know we're going to get into more of the nitty-gritty details, but I think it's important to establish that commandment because I think it really shifts our focus as liturgy not being the end goal or the end state, but rather a means to an end to continue the work of God, to continue kind of building his kingdom throughout our, our days, throughout our week, until the next time uh, we participate in the liturgy. Yeah, I, I like what you said, Steve, that, you know, liturgy is not something that we just do, and it's not something that just comes to an end on Sunday and that's it. But actually, the liturgy is the beginning. That's where we're placed where we reset life, refuel, and kind of begin a new life, a new week with Christ dwelling inside of us. And, and like you said, I mean, early Christians, that's, that's how they viewed church. It wasn't just something that they just did, but it was a place that they, they yearned to be united with Christ once again, and then they just looked forward to that Sunday morning to be reunited. So my question, diving deeper into that, Steve, is, is how did the early Christians view that, or how did they actually execute having that spirit of Christ inside of them? You know, what did it look like for them, for them to live that out on Monday morning? Right. I mean, going back to that whole go in peace, and obviously the the wording, and and I'm I'm sure it was different, but that whole idea is very visible in the early church, as early as in the book of Acts, and kind of those beginning chapters. uh, You know, when you look at Acts chapter 6, by that time, the apostles and disciples now are breaking bread, going from house to house, uh, uh, using the liturgical prayers and, and, and worshiping in that way, and they are giving themselves to prayer, but you get to Acts chapter 6, and now a problem uh, arises in the book of Acts, where there are a group of people in the community that have unmet needs, right? And it talks about this group of people who are being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So this is a big problem. And the apostles kind of get together and they say, okay, we have this problem where, you know, there's a group of people that their, their needs are not being met. So the apostles decide that it's not enough to just break bread. It's not enough to devote ourselves only to prayer and only to the liturgical service. The church must care for the physical, social, and emotional needs of the community around them. So the apostles figured this out well before. This is not a, a, a modern kind of interpretation. This is something that they figured out long ago uh, in the book of Acts. So how did they solve this problem? Well, we all know in Acts chapter 6, they appointed seven deacons, one of which is my namesake, Stephen, Uh, to be responsible for serving tables. Their job was to finish the liturgy, to finish the prayers, and go and care for the needs of the community, to 
uh, serve tables, as, as the book of Acts uh, refers to it. So it was this whole idea of you take the liturgical prayers, and then after that, you must go and meet the needs of the community around them. So the early church had this spirit of go very clearly. So when the liturgy finished for them, they were ready to go and serve. And, and you know, you look at the book of Acts and you ask, okay, they had this spirit. What was the result? Okay, what came out of this spirit of a group of people devoting themselves to prayer and then after devoting themselves to prayer, going and serving the community? Well, you look at Acts chapter 6 and in verse 7, it says, So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I mean, you ask the question, when a church is uh, devoting itself to prayer and serving the needs of the community, what is the result of that? It's a rapid increase in disciples, a rapid uh, growth and, and spreading of the Word of God. So, you know, if churches are not seeing that type of growth, then, you know, I think, you know, each as individuals and as churches collectively need to ask ourselves, are we both devoting ourselves to prayer and serving our local communities around us? Yeah, I mean, so many of us just focus on, on the first half, which is just the liturgical prayer, just uniting with Christ or just taking communion. But we never really think of, of the second half of that story, which is, like you mentioned, is clearly stated being recorded in the book of Acts, that the early Christians never just saw, you know, celebrating the Eucharist is good enough, and that was it. They always saw that there's a second part that was just as important. Sure, and I, I don't think it's a one is more important than the other on either side. And I believe it's actually, uh, uh, you know, speaks to what St. James spoke about with faith and works, that, you know, show me, I will show you my faith by my works. And I believe yeah. the works that we do outside of the liturgy is the proof of the power of the liturgy and the union with Christ inside of us and our partaking uh, of his, you know, body and blood. Yeah, I like the example you said, Steve, that it's, it's, it, there's two components. It's just like there's faith and works. It's the same thing with liturgy. It's not just communion by itself, but it's what do I do after that point? So with that being said, we know that liturgy is important. I mean, that, that's why we go on Sunday morning. We know that it's vital to unite with Christ. But how exactly does the liturgy, besides you know, communion itself, but how does the liturgy equip me to go out and now go in peace, like the priest tells us, to actually be the hands and feet of Christ. You know, like you mentioned, St. Stephen, uh, the deacon, you know, he was, he felt equipped after celebrating the Eucharist to go out and, and to meet the needs of his community. So mm -hmm. how does the liturgy that we celebrate every Sunday, how does that equip me to be the hands and feet of Christ outside? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a tough question because I think a lot of times we think of, you know, something equipping me and it's, Kind of teaching me a direct skill that I can use to do it. So, for instance, let's say if the liturgy showed me how to feed a person who was hungry. Well, okay, that's you know the liturgy equipping me, but clearly that's not uh, you know the the equipping of the liturgy. So, to me, the liturgy is creating a mindset, just like we were talking about the mindset of the liturgy being uh, the means to an end rather than the end state or end goal. To me, I think the liturgy also to the believer creates a certain mindset in them. If we really pay attention, if we really attend the liturgy with an open heart and a prayerful spirit, I think we walk away very equipped with a mindset to care for the people around me, to care for the community around me. You know, oftentimes we tend to think of the liturgy in a, uh, like a what's in it for me type of way, right? Yeah. So I go to liturgy and I get blessing from God. 
right? Or I get union with God, or I get strength, or I get grace, or I get power. But that's a modern kind of concept that we've turned the liturgy into. But if you look at the real prayers of the liturgy on a high level, you'll notice that the, the parts of supplication for ourselves are actually the smallest category of prayers, right? So take, for example, uh, you know, the raising of incense, uh, which we pray all three of the divine liturgies uh, in. And also, okay, let's put the liturgy of the faithful for St. Cyril, one that we don't uh, pray as much. But in those two parts alone, okay, let me give you a list here, okay? Uh, are you ready for this list? In, in those right. two parts alone, we pray for people who have departed before us, for people who are traveling, for people who are sick, for the peace of the church, for the president or the king of our land, for uh, the fathers of the church, pope, metropolitans, bishops, priests, hegemons, deacons, uh, for other people who asked us to pray for them, for the wind, the air, the water, the fruit-bearing trees, all of that stuff. So you go through all of that, and the question is, where are the prayers for yourself? They're at the way bottom. They're at the prayer of reconciliation. They are you know, the, the, the times of repentance and things like that. But all of those are separate prayers that have nothing to do with ourselves. So all of that is a mindset of caring for others, of caring for other things outside of myself, rather than caring for my needs. So the liturgy does this intentionally to remove the focus from my own state, from my own needs, and to make supplication for others a priority rather than myself. So to me, you say, how does the liturgy equip me to do this? When I attend the liturgy with an open spirit, with a prayerful heart, then I leave, I can't help but be concerned about others. I can't help but wonder, how can I serve others? I can't help but listen to the command of go in peace and think, I need to go and serve the homeless guy in, 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 that I walk past every day in the street, or the widow who, who you know, is, is a single mother who has nobody uh, to help her. I can't help but think of the person who is traveling you know, maybe the person who's traveling with young toddlers like myself, okay, who needs a break from, from the kids, okay, something like that. I can't help but think of people in need because I've spent the entire liturgy and a large portion of the liturgy really supplicating on their behalf. And, and it's, you know, what, what makes up so amazing that, that point is we call the church our mother. And why do we call the church our mother? Because just as, you know, as a, as a you know, human mother, Mother takes care of a child and, and, and nourishes a baby for whatever he needs. So the, the church, as our mother, takes care of us and trains us and holds our hand and teaches us what to pray for and how to pray. So like you said, the liturgy, the content of the liturgy, if you look at the layout, the layout of the liturgy is helping me to focus on what do I need to focus on, which is praying for things that are bigger than myself. Yes, there is a part, like you mentioned, of, of praying for you know, a transformational heart and that I can repent. But there's other parts where I need to focus on, on praying for things outside of myself. So you're right. I, you're absolutely right. And, and the church, as our mother, beautifully does that and helps us and equips us to pray for things outside of us. And you mentioned at the beginning, and I'll, I'll kind of uh, let the curtain, uh, you know, open the curtain a little bit. And you mentioned that me and you are good friends. And we've spoken several times. Uh, you know, just as, as friends and stuff, how we need to change the idea and this concept of the church goer saying, what's in it for me? And that goes actually beyond the liturgy. That's kind of an existential, you know, idea right there of every time I go to church, you know, we should never ask the question of what's in it for me. Well, you know, uh, this youth meeting, what's in it for me? Uh, fellowship, and I get to see so-and-so and hang out. No, 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 no. 
the, the question is, how can I serve? And, and we've been in church, you know, long enough and, and to see that the happiest, the most contented, the most at peace church members and churchgoers are the ones who are not saying what's in it for me, but rather saying, how can I serve? How can I be the hands and feet of Jesus, both at the church and both outside of the church? Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, that's, a, that's something that hopefully, uh, you know, is a culture that's being created in all of our churches uh, inside the liturgy and out. Basically flipping that consumer mindset. Exactly. And that's how we kind of transform churches and, and you know, take that spirit and turn them into churches that are, are really looking like the ancient church of the apostles, right? I mean, that's the book of Acts, right? Everyone brought all that they had and laid it at the feet of the apostles. There was literally no consumption in the early church. No, yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, it, all the early Christians, yeah, like you said, they didn't have a consumer mindset. They said, hey, here are my strengths. What can I do to help strengthen the church and help bring the good news to others that, have, that are, are lost or don't have the fullness of life because they don't have Christ? Uh, with them. And that was our mindset. And, and that should be ours every single week. And, and, and in reality, every day, what can I bring to my workplace, to my school, bringing Christ uh, to others? How can I be that light? Mm-hmm. But let's be real, Steve. How does this really look like? Give us practical action items, things that we can actually do to make this real instead of like, just like high level fluff talk that we need to be the light of Christ outside. What does that really look like? Right. Well, well, uh, you know, let's start off and say, hopefully by now, uh, everyone is convinced about that. Hopefully by now, everyone realized this has been the greatest podcast episode that's ever been recorded. And <laughs> everyone is convinced that I need to be serving people outside of the church, people in our communities, people in need and meeting those needs. The question that you pose is, how do we start? And that's always, of course, uh, you know, that first step is always the hardest step. And yeah. uh, to me, you can't wait for the perfect opportunity to fall into your lap. And, and, and this is really all about being proactive. And this whole idea of getting involved in your community is not very different than, you know, the same way you, you know, want to find a career and you want to find the perfect career. You don't sit back and say, okay, I'm going to wait for somebody to come and, and offer me a job and then I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. No, you explore your options. You look at your alternatives. You're proactive. You, you try different things. You try different uh, jobs and careers, and, and you find one that you're passionate about and one that you're good at, and you know you pursue it. You know, same thing with marriage. You know, you don't just sit back and say, "I'm going to wait for the perfect girl to you, you know come down from heaven." That that doesn't happen. So you, you're proactive. You you put yourself out there. You you know you look at options. Hopefully, you know people have options, <laughs> uh, and, and you know you you make the best choice. So same thing with serving in the communities. I always say that service should be done from a place of inspiration rather than obligation, mm. right? And so that, that, that we should never serve from a place of obligation, but rather it should really be from a place of inspiration. And the question is, how do you know what inspires you? How do you know what you're passionate about? And the simple answer is trial and error. And I know that that's not fun and it's not you know, the, the most elaborate answer, but it's the truth. And this whole idea of we need to if you're really serious about going, if you're really ser- uh, serious about serving in your community, you need to find different groups, different organizations, different churches, different opportunities that are serving in the community and join them. Go volunteer at a senior citizen home and play bingo for a night. Go to a homeless shelter and you know, serve a, a dinner to them. Go to a local elementary school and tutor kids. And you'll find out what passion God has put on your heart and what God has created you for. There's this great term that I, I often refer to, and I was introduced to 
uh, a few years back. It's called, uh, the term is called holy discontent. Okay, and, and holy discontent refers to this idea of, it answers the question, what is the one aspect of the world that when you see it, when you touch it, when you get near it, you just can't stand? You know, that's your God-given passion. What is the one thing that when you see it or when you get close to it, you jump off the couch and you spring into action because, you know what, I can't stand it. That could be, uh, you know, when you see a victim of child abuse or sexual assault or homelessness or disease or hunger or whatever it is. Every single person has something inside of them that God, it's a God-given passion and given to you by God to set things right in the world. And to me, you know, personally, uh, I remember when I was younger, you know, people always used to, they always used to laugh at me because I would like try a ministry or try a service. And then I would uh, say, you know, that's not for me. And I would jump to the next one. People say, you know, you keep on jumping. But you know what? That was the best thing because I was exposed to so many different things. I was able to see what is my real passion? What is the, the, the thing inside of me that really burns me up that really God wants to solve the, the problem that God wants to solve in the world through me? And, you know, the, the best part of all of this is that after you do the trial and error, after you volunteer, after you find the various needs in your community, after you find what you're passionate about, you know, I'll never forget when I found it and you go to God with it and you say, okay, God, this is what I think you put inside of me. This is what I think, uh, you know, I'm passionate about. This is where I think I can really serve and make a difference in our community. The answer you're going to get from God, he's going to whisper back to you. He's going to say, I feel the exact same way. Yeah. He's yeah. going to say, I've been waiting for you to realize that. Now let's go solve it together. So, you know, I, I, I believe that there are people in our churches that God is waiting for them to discover this command of go and this inspiration of a need in their community. And God is waiting to use them to solve big macro level problems in our world. You know, I, I believe that with my whole heart. So I think that's why it's, it's so critical. And, and to me, that's when your liturgical experience doesn't stop at the end of lit liturgy, but rather is just beginning. Because now you have this purpose. Now you're going to liturgy to be filled by him, to put these passions and these services and these ministries and these needs before him and before his altar. And you walk away thinking, I need liturgy to end quickly because I got to go take care of this need. I got to go serve in the community. I got to go and bless these people and show genuine love to those around me. So, you know, that, that's that mindset. That's that transformative mindset uh, that I think we need to start seeing liturgy as uh, not the end state, but the means to an end, like we've been talking about. Yeah, you're right, Steve. You know, we do need to take that leap of faith and, and just put ourselves out there and experiment and, and, and see what type of service really connects with us and really pulls at our heart, you know, according to our strengths and, and what really connects with us to give the best of who we are back to our community by being the hands and feet of Christ. So next time, this coming Sunday, when you hear that, that last blessing, that last dismissal from the priest, hopefully we all think about it differently. I'll read it, you know, for us. And then next time we hear this on Sunday, then maybe we're going to think about it differently and maybe we'll pay attention to it for the first time maybe and realize that, you know, liturgy doesn't just end uh, on Sunday, but it's what we do right after communion. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord, God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the communion and gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace.
The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen. May God continue to give us strength and, and encouragement for us to go in peace and to be him, to be Christ, out where we live, in our schools, in our classrooms, with our families, with whoever, that we continue to be his light. Thank you so much, Steve, for taking your time and for this for this great episode that we can go out and be Christ. Thank you again. My pleasure, man. You have been listening to Meet and Write. For more episodes and resources, make sure to check out CoptaKimsInEnglish.com.